All right, so I'm going to do a little quick pivot table. This is on-the-fly analysis that perhaps I should have done earlier, but did not. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is September 29th, 2020, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining me in New York City is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. I know I threatened last week to just just say my name and that was it and not introduce you, but we're going to try this whole thing again. I thought maybe maybe I would introduce Jeff Foster out in Los Angeles, California from the Mazda studio in his car. Hey, Jeff, how are you? Um, <laughs> am I supposed to recognize that? That's not an official introduction. Un- unsanctioned <laughs> intro? Yes, you can recognize that. Okay, How's it fine. going, Jeff? Just checking, just checking. I'm good. Thanks, Neil. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Hi, Sarah. You, Hi. You guys, we have a, a Stanley Cup final winner. Yay! The Tampa Bay Lightning lifted Ooh. the cup last night. We'll talk about this more later, but but that was, uh, it was exciting. Um, I don't know. It was great I, to see. I might be coming around on hockey a little bit. Really? Like, I'm, that misses the playoffs. Well, just from watching it, um, <laughs> which is, I guess, maybe what I was I like it. This is the first one I've watched, but I think I like it. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. exposure effect. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we'll talk about um, we'll talk about hockey more in our rabbit hole. Uh, before we get going, we sh- need to recap where things stand in the hot takedown survivor pool. So last week, <laughs> Neil picked against the Jets. Yeah. Picking for the, the Colts. I picked against the Vikings, counting on the Titans to take care of business, which of course they did. Yes. That was not a good pick, Sarah. That you got very lucky. The Vikings were in that game the entire time. It it was it made you sweat. You took a risky pick against your own team. You took a road team, and you know, you you survived, but I don't know. Oh, okay, Jeff, did you survive? No, I didn't. Is, I didn't. I didn't. No, oh, oh, interesting. So oh, you're look, sitting here in judgment of my correct pick. We're not talking about me. Uh, or actually, yes, you were probably we not talking talk about me anyway. So I guess we are talking about yes. me. Yeah, look, I made a bet. <laughs> but mine I mean, I thought, the card- I thought the Cardinals were going to win. I thought until the end of that game that the Cardinals were going to win because the Lions lose. So, And we were asking what would happen in the event of a tie. I guess you get a half point? <laughs> yeah, like a no, half it was survivor? close. No, I, I think zero points. You have to win. That's the whole point. Okay, well, then let's make our picks for week four quickly. So the order this time will be me, Jeff, Neil to pick. Um, so, uh, I have to pick first. So this was, I found this to to? be, well, I found this to be very tricky this week because the teams I would normally like auto pick against are also facing bad teams. And so that's, it's the Jets right here, aren't you? (laughs) And the Vikings, they're facing another 0-3 team. Like this is tough, man. That is insulting to the Jets. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So with my pick, I'm going to take. The Rams over the Giants. Oh, good pick. Not fair. All right. Who you that's, got, Jeff? Not actually, fair. <laughs> I just think, like last week with Indianapolis, that's like the clear. I mean, the Giants look bad. Both the New York teams are yeah. terrible. Um, yeah, it's not good. 
and I think the Rams are pretty good. Um, I'm going to take the uh, Baltimore Ravens on the road against football team. Ravens uh, coming off a loss last night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think last night shows, which has been a trend, the trend in the playoffs. The Ravens are really good when they can take a lead, which they often do with Lamar Jackson, and then just run the other team into the ground. That shouldn't be a problem against football team, despite being on the road. <laughs> All right. Okay. okay. Ravens. All right. Who you got, Neil? All right. So, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I was first thinking about Tampa Bay. Uh, against the uh, Chargers uh, there at home. But I think I want to save the Bucks for later. So this this is going to be a pick that's like out in left field. We'll see how it goes for me. Same. But I'm going to take the Cincinnati Bengals at home <sighs> against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Joe Burrow is playing well uh, for a rookie. Uh, he, he, they had a tie against the Eagles, who are probably complete trash. But, uh, <laughs> you know, the jury is still... Maybe it's the jury's not out on them. They're terrible, but still a tie rookie quarterback and they're at home against the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. So I'm taking Cincinnati. Wow. All right. On today's show, we'll dive into major league baseball's postseason madness. There are four playoff games today and eight tomorrow. So we'll talk about what we're looking forward to as this unique season transitions into what's sure to be a wild playoffs. We'll also check back in with the NBA now that its playoffs have given us two conference champions. We'll preview the Los Angeles Lakers versus the Miami Heat and what each team needs to do to come out on top in the finals. And finally, we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. Despite a huge contract battle between players and ownership, two team-wide coronavirus outbreaks, and a nomadic Toronto Blue Jays, Major League Baseball ended its 60-game regular season and is now headed into the playoffs. The 2020 postseason will look very different. All 16 teams will play a wildcard best-of-three series, followed by a best-of-five division series, a best-of-seven league championship, and then finally the World Series, which will still be best-of-seven, but will be played in Arlington, Texas, no matter which teams make it to the finals. As we've written about on the site, this abridged format is a recipe for a certain amount of chaos. But the Athletics' Joe Posnanski observed on the podcast that for 2020, any playoff format is worth celebrating. I mean, I, you know, I've, I'm on record saying that, that taking this kind of 16-team randomness into a real baseball season, uh, I wouldn't like that at all. And, and I know that there are those at least uh, floating that trial balloon and, and we can talk about that later, but when it comes to 2020 and, and the weirdness of everything and, and, you know, the difficulty of everything, you know, I, I think two things, I think one, I think this is fantastic. I would have, I would have been fine if they'd said all 30 teams are in the playoffs. I mean, I would have, to me, they, they had a blank canvas to work with, you know, based on the fact that they're, you know, this is, nobody knows what's going on. I mean, it's so strange and we're all dealing with so many, you know, so many weird things in our own lives. I, I got to feel like um, this playoffs is going to be great. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. 
So the playoffs start in just a few hours. By the time people hear this podcast, at least one game will likely be in the books. Guys, how are we feeling about the way all of this shaped up? Jeff, do you agree with Posnanski that, you know, any playoffs would have been a great playoffs? Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously better if your uh, team makes the playoffs, especially when there's more teams allowed. Sorry, Mets fans, including <laughs> myself and Neil. Um, but that being said, I'm going to go farther and say I like this format better. Really? Than the usual format. I, I like the um, the best of three. I think it makes perfect sense. It actually matches the way baseball has traditionally always done it with a regular season as you play a three-game series and it's at one team's stadium. It's very natural baseball format. Um, I ever have liked the one-game playoff, yeah. uh, as you don't like it either, Sarah. I think it's yeah. too fluky. I think it's too dependent on, on your frontline top-tier top ace. I think this you have to have a little more depth um, to your rotation. And also it, it doesn't have all those rotation shenanigans of, you know, guys pitching on short rest or, or that kind of thing. You really, you got your starters get one shot at it. Um, and it, it's kind of fits the way baseball is, is the schedule is traditionally broken up. And obviously, you know, with the, the fans not being there, I think the home field is, uh, that would be a sort of trickier thing. I think if you were to take this format, you know, into like a, a normal season next season or something like that. Um, but, but it's fine in terms of, you know, the COVID world. Uh, I'm okay with it. Yeah. I agree with everything that you said, Jeff, that it, I would like to see it going forward. I would like to see a 16 team bracket kind of be like a permanent thing. Um, and, I think you could maybe the only quibble with it is that some of the teams that were like the last ones to sneak into the playoffs were like below 500. <laughs> like yeah. the, the Astros made the playoffs. They went 29 and 31. Uh, and I think we're going to talk about them in detail later, but uh, you know, teams around 500 or just below were like sneaking into the playoffs. And that seems a little strange. Um, but aside from that, you know, it, it fit in with the 60 game schedule, of course, because as we've said, going into this season and throughout 60 games is not that much to really tell us, you know, who the best teams are. So it's good to cast a wide net and get as many teams as possible. But I like the 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 dynamic that, that you talked about, Jeff, where you have the three game series and I like the bracket aspect of it. I don't like these weird sort of like, OK, some teams get buys and baseball like more teams got buys than didn't for the wild card round in the past. And so now you kind of have uh, every team playing the same number of um, rounds and same number of games and series. And I don't know, it just seems I like the symmetry. Maybe it's just an OCD thing. I like the symmetry <laughs> of the bracket. I like being able to pick a bracket. MLB has kind of started in with the bracket contests and all of that. They're trying to lean into the March Madness aspect of it. And I kind of like that too, where uh, you mentioned, Sarah, there's going to be like eight games tomorrow or something. Yeah. Uh, something. Uh, it's uh, it's, it's going to be a lot of overload all day long. And that's going to give me strong like Thursday of opening week of March Madness type of vibes, which I've been missing this year, especially, but I just love in general that like every game happening, you got to flip through, you know, a bunch of channels to, to find it. They're playing games on ABC. I don't know the last time that they had a uh, baseball playoff game on ABC. It was probably like 
the 90s uh al michaels calling the game so i don't know it's uh it's it's i think there's more good to it than than bad yeah i mean if i had one quibble or one thing um that i would fix i i don't like the way they did the seating i think actually the right teams got in you know you said that astros uh you know 29 31 um yeah that's not great but at the same time there wasn't really a team like no. left in the american that i think was more deserving every other team was uh you know that didn't make it was below 500 and i think the brewers were the only below 500 team in the in the nl um but that being said it doesn't really make sense that the astros have a higher seed than say yeah chicago who yeah. is one of the wild card teams, despite being 10 games above 500. Um, that feels wrong. I mean, I think you could have kept the top three with the divisions, but I would have made everything else, you know, the best remaining six uh, records and, and just seated them that way. That's my minor quibble. Um, but, you know, it is not, it's not reseeding, so you could get an easier path. So, I mean, I, I like the bracket format too. I generally always like the bracket format. No one, I think, is, you know, as an objective outsider, is in favor of a reseeding tournament, which is just annoying. Yeah, I, I think that that is the big, the big problem with this format that the, the seeding is sort of ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I mean, it's not, it's sort of unfair for, you know, the second seed and the AL, the, the A's to get saddled with, with the White Sox, um, when, you know, the, the worst team easily was, was, were the Astros. I also think this is too many teams. Um, I think that 16 is too many six. It's more than half of the league. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that's, the that's what basketball and hockey does. Yeah. And yeah, every sucks. other sport does it. And it's the worst part about those postseasons. Do you, now, listen, you guys, Cast your minds back to last year, not this year during the crazy bubbles, but last year during the NBA playoffs and the first round of the NBA playoffs, we had a conversation about how, who cares about this? Let's just move on to the actually important games. The first round well, is not that interesting because the that's basketball. That's the difference between basketball and baseball. baseball. Right. Exactly. Gonna, yeah. You're going to see a lot of upsets. Oh Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, sure. not, that's also not great. Like we're not going to, that's, there's a worse chance. Like there's a, there's a better chance that we do not crown the actual best team in baseball. There's already a pretty good chance of that because of the randomness in baseball, but like, let's not make that worse. I mean, we're not giving any reward to the top seeds here, making them play an extra series. I, I think that sucks. I mean, they get entire home field advantage. Well, that and this year that is not, as helpful i mean although home team i know home they won more they won a higher rate this year than last year right but there's not it's where you're comfortable it's your locker room you need your park you know the security guards you know the ways in and out you You know the trash cans yeah no i know Um, yeah absolutely think of the astros who will not be at home i think I know. Think of the Astros. We always do. I I don't like having this many teams. I think that was something that made baseball better than 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 the NBA and the NHL. Having you know having it me- mean more to make the playoffs. Um, this year, I think it's fine. I think it's great. This year, I agree that like any playoffs are good playoffs. But I know they want to keep this, and apparently, so do you guys. So that that that's not great from my perspective. <laughs>
Um, all right. Well, so Neil, you dug into the storylines for the postseason based on our model, which of course took into account the unusual structure of the postseason. The Dodgers are still the clear favorite, but what is our model anticipating beyond LA? Yeah, I mean the Dodgers. They are uh, to say they are a clear favorite is uh, maybe even understating things. They they have a thirty two percent chance in our model. That is the highest in any season that that we've been doing these predictions going into the playoffs. Uh, and I, I don't think it's like especially close. I think the uh, the the nearest was like maybe one of those Cubs teams, like the twenty sixteen Cubs had like a twenty eight percent chance or something, or the eighteen Red Sox maybe. Uh, so yes, they are the clear favorites in the National League. Uh, and and we can quibble with that when it comes to their postseason uh, track record, <laughs> and we'll see if they can kind of overcome that. But uh, our model uh, doesn't take that into account. Uh, generally, like most sabermetric things, maybe downplays the the importance of clutchness or doubts the existence of uh, persistent clutch skills. Whatever. Anyway, uh, in the American League, there really is not a favorite. That's uh, a big difference um, between the NL and the AL this year. The Rays are the number one seed. They are the favorites. We give them a 21% chance of going to the World Series. But the Twins are right behind, 17%. Uh, The Yankees, 17%. Uh, I don't know if we are due for a Yankees twins, uh, ALCS, uh, at some point, Sarah's worst nightmare. Um, the A's are at 12%. The Astros are at 12%, which is very interesting. Uh, and we can dig into also why they are so high. Uh, but the point is, is that most of the teams in the AL have, you know, some vaguely credible case to make about their potential to go to the World Series. Well, so, you know, the the challenges of these first two rounds, the best of three, which is better if you were a wildcard team, best of three is obviously better than just the one game playoff. If you're one of the top seeds, then you're playing <laughs> an extra series and it's just best of three. And we're just doing best of five in the divisional series. Plus, there's no off days now once the games in each of those series start. There are games off between the series, but not games off during the games. So rotations are are going to be different. And there's no travel, which is good, but only home field advantage for the top four seeds in each conference and only in the first round. So which teams might be best equipped to succeed under all of these conditions? and, And which ones do we think could struggle. Jeff, who do you think might benefit the most? I think obviously, I mean, this is true every po- uh, postseason, but I think there will be a lot of um, testing of the bullpens. I mean, we've seen a year when a lot of starters have, have not gone very deep at all. I mean, there's some teams where no one has pitched over a hundred, hundred um, pitches in a game. So I think we'll see, I think they're, you know, it, it's again, true every year you need a good bullpen in the postseason, but I think you'll see, you'll need a lot more depth in the bullpen because you can't just, you know, a lot of times what teams do in the postseason is they just run the same three relievers out in the same spots, you know, seventh inning, eighth inning, ninth inning. I don't know if you'll be able to get away with that as much with these guys pitching every day. So I think, you know, a team like the Rays or um, even the Padres who have a really good bullpen, I think that'll give them a little bit of advantage. Actually, Milwaukee, I was just talking about them. They have a really good bullpen. So that is a little bit of a scary proposition for L.A. Um, if those games are, are still in reach in the later innings. Um, but I also think like just having two or three starters 
um, rather than just one elite starter is going to be a big advantage. I think a team like Cincinnati that has a pretty scary one, two, three with, you know, Bauer Castillo and, and then Sonny Gray, if they need them, um, makes them like a tough out. And, and one of the other things that we didn't talk about this year hardly as much as we talked about last year is the ball and about, uh, you know, whether there's going to be like wild swings in uh, quality of, of power between the regular season and the playoffs. Cause we saw that that was a big theme last year. Uh, and so you had all these teams that were like power hitting teams, apologies to the twins uh, that, that, you know, their, their long fly balls died on the warning track uh, more often in the, in the postseason. but that's just pure speculation as to whether, you know, that will be a storyline these playoffs or not. Yeah. It's something I'm definitely worried about as again, as a fan of the twins and the twins didn't hit. Well, obviously they didn't hit as many, many home runs as they did last year. Um, but yeah, that's something obviously we won't know until it happens, but um, but we'll see how that goes. So we did a World Series draft in August, um, which seems like a million years ago. Um, we did not draft, draft all 30 teams, but we did take most of them. Um, we can't obviously declare a winner just yet because it was a world series draft and we don't know the world series winner, but we can see how many of our teams are still alive. Jeff, you had the Dodgers, Indians, Padres, and Cubs, all of whom made the playoffs. And then the Rockies, Mets, and Red Sox, who, you know, didn't. Why did I the Red Sox? I mean, they're tanking. <laughs> it was, it was terrible pick. It was early in the season. Um, <laughs> Neil, you had the Yankees, A's, White Sox, Reds, and Cardinals all still in contention. The Phillies just missed out. And the Nationals, who I think were your like third pick maybe. Are also... <laughs> I think that's, that might be right. I did yeah. take them pretty high. <laughs> uh, yeah, that that is that was an unfortunate situation. And the Phillies, man, if They're they had close. just won yeah. on Sunday, everything else that they needed to have happen uh happened and they could have made the playoffs but then they they lost Ugh, yeah terrible. yeah <laughs> um so i took the twins astros rays braves and brewers um the i also took the angels sadly the mike trout playoff drought continues and i had taken the diamondbacks and they also are not in the playoffs no one took the blue jays or the marlins those are also the two teams with the worst odds in our model. So not super surprising. And for me, I'm feeling maybe less good about my team because if you add up in our model of the championship odds uh, for everyone's team, so Jeff is number one. He has a 46% chance of getting the champion because he uh, largely on the strength of the Dodgers, I think. <laughs> uh, Sarah's number two. She has a 32% chance if you add up all of her team's uh, championship odds together. And I'm in third place with only a 20% chance. Uh, and then the remaining percentages belong to no one because no one took the uh, Marlins and Blue Jays. So I'm pretty far back in last place in, uh, in expected championships. Even though you have you have more teams than Jeff. Jeff's Jeff's pick of the Dodgers really carried carried that there. I think that's right. Yeah, the vast majority of his points are coming from the Dodgers right now. <laughs> um, you love to see it. Well, all right. So in a, in another month, we'll know uh, we'll know whose whose pick uh, panned out. All right. I think we can end this discussion here for now. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll be back to talk about the NBA Finals. 
We have another exciting postseason to look at this week, though this one is starting to wrap up. The NBA Finals begin tomorrow with the Los Angeles Lakers taking on the Miami Heat at quote-unquote home, (laughs) even though both teams are, of course, still in the bubble in Orlando. Even for a major American sports championship, the NBA Finals feel pretty big this year. ESPN's Keyshawn Johnson laid out the reason that he thinks this series has so much more dramatic potential on the Keyshawn, J. Will, and Zubin show. If, if there wasn't a LeBron and a Pat Riley to, to talk about and build this thing, and if it was just a Miami Heat, Laker-type situation, you would be like, okay, Lakers boring, because you can't find any. There's no real interesting conversation. Now we got Riley LeBron, Jimmy Butler, uh, Eric Spolster. So you kind of put all that together and you can have a real media conversation and drum it up. The music behind the backdrop, all of those sort of things is what's going to make this series really exciting. So do you guys agree that the revenge storyline, whether it's LeBron or Pat Riley, who ends up getting even, is the most compelling one behind this series? Or are there other factors that we should be thinking about and looking out for in this matchup? Yeah, I mean, the immediate uh, storyline that jumps to mind is LeBron, former team, Pat Riley, you know, tried to bring LeBron back. And he had said uh, at uh, in the immediate wake of that, I think he said he was very angry that LeBron had left. But really, there was reporting later on where Riley said like he understood why LeBron did it. He did the right thing. uh, And, and that hatchet seemed to be kind of buried. So I know the media is going to try to revive it for this. Um, But I don't know how much of a revenge storyline it is. I think in, in some ways it's really more about the basketball teams themselves and the way that they're built and the very strong difference between a LeBron James, Anthony Davis Lakers team that is built in the traditional mold of having like a, you know, a big two that is one of the best in history. In fact, I looked at this this morning. If you look at uh, Raptor wins above replacement per game for the top two players on a team that went to the finals, this is the third best duo uh, in playoff history since 1977, I think, only behind Jordan and Pippen in 1991, and of course, Steph Curry and Draymond Green, who our our, uh, Raptor loves in 2017. They thought that that Draymond and not not KD was the second best player on that team. Uh, But so Anthony Davis and LeBron James are like this all-time duo. And you don't have to look far to find other examples of that with the Lakers. Kobe and Shaq obviously come to mind. Magic Johnson and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. So there's a rich history there. Whereas with the Heat, you know, Jimmy Butler is their star, but you can really point to a lot of other players on that team as carrying a lot of the load as well and giving him a great supporting cast. And it's a very deep uh, set of contributors that they have. A lot of them are undrafted. Uh, you know, they, they don't have this pedigree that we think of, uh, certainly when it comes to LeBron and Anthony Davis, some of the most hyped players ever coming out of uh, high school uh, and college. So I, I think that it's a contrast in the way that the two teams are built and, and kind of a referendum on can you build a championship team without going the double superstar, the big two, the big three, you know, the free agency, uh, you know, Jimmy Butler was a free agent acquisition, but it, it was certainly less heralded and less hyped than, um, 
than LeBron and and uh, the the trade for Anthony Davis. I think you're right that this is a referendum on the on team building philosophy. It, is there a philosophy that we that we like better? That as like, I mean, I guess is there a more fan friendly way? Like, is there it, should fans be getting behind one of these two teams as a like build our teams like this kind of model? Do you think? I totally think the Heat are the much more fan-friendly way to build a team because they didn't really tank. Uh, yes, they've had some like down seasons, uh, and they had one last year, but generally during the Pat Riley era, the Heat have tried to contend every year. They've tried to kind of target being a pretty good team, uh, but maybe not like a top of the you know top seed elite team and then just try to kind of build from the middle uh and and i think as a fan you would love to see that because it means you don't have to go through tanking uh and you can have some pretty good memories even from the the years that didn't yield championships and still have the championships potentially down the line too yeah i agree i I think the the heat are a testament to team building and that ultimately is is better for this sport i mean you look at their team with you know bam and and tyler hero or you know they were first round picks um but they weren't like top three elite you know surefire star picks i mean they were like middle middle round picks and then duncan robinson i mean target this guy just a little background as a michigan fan transferred (laughs) from williams he played at williams which is a great school if you're, you know, doing many things with your career, but generally not basketball. Um, <laughs> but there he is, you know, he's a major contributor. So um, getting as much value out of those picks and, and, and not a huge amount of draft capital. And then, you know, giving Jimmy Butler, who generally is been viewed as, I mean, at least probably wrongly, at least what he did on, uh, you know, Minnesota and Philly as like a second, chair third chair kind of star giving him you know the full reins um and it's working um they're a dangerous team there's a lot of ways they can beat you so i think that's obviously more fun and gives more hope to to everyone else in the league who can't get a lebron james and and anthony davis which obviously very few teams can i do wonder though how how replicable the miami success is because they got pretty lucky i mean to hit on players like they did i mean kendrick nunn who hasn't really been used in the in the postseason but was a big part of their team during the regular season he was undrafted he was in the g league they saw something in him but also like he took a huge leap i mean that you can't count on an undrafted g league guy being like you know, contending for rookie of the year. That's not like a sustainable business model, right? Well, I mean, I would say there are some teams that have a track record of at least doing more with less through the draft uh, than others. Like the Heat and the Toronto Raptors are known for kind of getting a lot out of undrafted players. And we saw with the San Antonio Spurs over the years, they made a lot with guys that were second round picks. You know, I'm thinking of Manu Ginobili. uh, and, And he was, I think, the second or third to last player picked in a draft so i mean there i I think in some ways you have to hit those home runs in order to be able to set yourself up to be in this position but i agree with you sarah that like the heat have hit a lot of home runs um so as we talked about last week our model has not loved the lakers during these playoffs and that remains true miami has a 73 percent chance to win in our predictions of course that's much different than what vegas says 
the implied odds at the at the Westgate Superbook opened at 82% for LA. So, Jeff, are you going to put all your money on the heat and and live and die by our model? Well, I will say that, uh, it, you know, as we've said many times, the model was right a year ago, um, whereas the Raptors were pretty big underdogs, both in Vegas and in the public side. They, not as big underdogs as the Heat are in this series, interestingly. They, they're about two to one uh, money line, 230, whereas uh, depending on where you go, this year's Heat teams, you know, three to one, above 300 on the money line and a bit more of an underdog than than Toronto was but the model was right so I'm not going to doubt it again and <laughs> but I will say like going back these big underdogs in finals it's very rare to find examples where they win um just looking at teams that were at least 2 to 1 or 200 on the money line winning the championship there's only two examples um going all the way back to 1973 um one of them was last year with the Raptors as I mentioned <laughs> And then the other one, you have to go all the way back to 2004 when the Pistons yeah. uh, won and beat the Lakers, and they were 5-1. to one. That was actually the biggest upset, uh, at least from Vegas's point of view, in the NBA Finals. And that's it. Um, yeah. You'll have small upsets here and there. You know, 2006, 2016 Cavaliers was a little bit of an upset. 2008 Celtics was a little bit of an upset, but, not, but nothing like a, a team with, with these odds um, winning winning the finals. So historically the favorites generally win in the NBA. <laughs> yeah. And, and uh, you almost want to be like, Oh, the 2004 Pistons, that's an example of a team that unseated a Laker squad with two superstar hall of famers. Uh, you know, maybe they, the heat can replicate that, but they just don't, they don't have the dominating defense uh, that the Pistons had in 2004. They play interesting defense. You know, they'll use a zone defense and uh, dare teams to kind of shoot over them. And the Lakers, you know, they have some three-point shooters, but they're not, they have not been one of the best three-point shooting teams uh, at all in the playoffs so far. So maybe that's a way they can engineer an upset. Well, right. Yeah. So what what do the Heat need to do? Um, You know, the Heat were not favored over the Celtics. And I think, you know, by by Raptor, the Celtics were a better team. I think people thought the Celtics were the better team, and yet the Heat won in six games. So what what do we think the Heat need to do to to prove our model right? <laughs> this is I all mean, about the model here. <laughs> neutralizing Anthony Davis would be a pretty good start. And yeah. I don't know if Bam Adebayo can do that uh, or whoever else they can throw. I mean, it really seems like that uh, he's, he's probably the one guy that they can try to throw at AD and try to slow him down. But I don't know if that's going to work. And he has seemed to really unlock an extra gear for the Lakers. Um, like, you know, LeBron is going to play like LeBron. He's kind of metronomic in his uh, excellence. Uh, but Davis is playing the best he's ever played. Uh, and, and that, I think, has been as big of an ingredient for the Lakers as anything. But we should also point out that, look, the Heat have the same record in the playoffs that the Lakers have. They're both 12-3 and en route to the finals. And the, the Heat unquestionably went through a more difficult path if you think about who they had to play and beat to get that 12 and three record, they went through Milwaukee. Uh, like uh, the, the the Lakers didn't face anyone that at least on paper in the regular season was on that same level. And you can kind of pair up, you know, uh, when, when the Lakers beat the Rockets, that was roughly equivalent to 
beating the Celtics. You know, they're pretty close in terms of the SRS or the net rating uh, rankings. When the Heat beat the Pacers, that's roughly equivalent to beating the Trailblazers, which the the Lakers did in the first round. Uh, so you can kind of pair up those two series, but the Lakers didn't have to uh, have to go through anything like the Bucks, uh, and the the Heat took care of the Bucks in five games. So I think we should give credit. I don't know how predictive it is, and certainly I think I would not be as bullish uh, on the Heat as the model is for the reasons that we discussed last week. Um, that something seems kind of wonky with the predictive version of Raptor uh, that's that's causing this, uh, specifically as it pertains to the Lakers. But I think if you just look at who has had the better, more impressive playoff so far, it's been the Heat, and there's there's something to be said for that, right? Well, all right. So who are you taking? Who are you taking in the finals? I'm taking the Lakers in seven. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Which is more, I mean, I think probably based on those odds that you were saying, right. Jeff, probably uh, the, the majority of people think that it would be, what, like Lakers in five, I guess? Yeah, probably. Jeff, who you got? I'm actually going to take the heat because I, I do think, you know, obviously Davis and LeBron um, are not going to be stopped but the rest the rest of their offense i mean kuzma and, and danny green and they just haven't been playing well we've seen this team look pretty lackluster on offense when they're getting no help from anyone else whereas i feel like you know as we mentioned or neil mentioned hero and, and robinson so i'll take the heat do i have to say how many games yeah i'll say seven <laughs> i think this is going to be a really fun series i mean i think that that I think it'll be the storylines are great. I think that the basketball will be good. Although if the, if the Lakers start having to just like throw up threes over the Miami zone, then it could get kind of ugly. But I think it'll be really fun. I think it'll be really fun to see LeBron play a former team. Like this will be, I I don't know. I'm excited for this series. I think it'll be really interesting. I think the Lakers are going to win, but I'm, I think Lakers... Make your pick with conviction, I Sarah. No, I'm These really... Con- I think this is conviction. I know. I, I'm going to take Lakers in seven. I think it'll go. I think it'll be close. We'll see. Now watch the know. Lakers sweep. I know. <laughs> We're all... We all, like, believe in the model a little, a little too much, maybe. <laughs> well, I think also we want, for the reasons we said earlier, we want to live in an NBA where a team like the Heat can contend with a team like the Lakers. I think if you're not a hardcore Laker fan, and I totally understand, you know, the 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 people that will be cheering for them uh, in this series. But I think if you don't have a rooting interest in it, the the vision of the NBA that the Heat represent is a more uh, equitable and um, just enticing vision of the league than than seeing the Lakers win with this big two. I think for me, I I just I believe in LeBron. Um maybe maybe way too much, but I believe in him and I'm just always going to root for him. So, um it, it's hard for me to pick against the Lakers even if I think I, even if I want to pick uh with the model because I'm a I'm a company man. Um all right. Okay. <laughs> Let's leave that there. We'll see how our, how our picks pan out. Um and we'll be back in a moment for our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Take it away, Neil. 
Thanks, Sarah. So as we talked about at the top of the show, we hinted to it. Your favorite sport, hockey, <laughs> concluded the 2020 season last night with the Tampa Bay Lightning defeating the Dallas Stars in game six of the Stanley Cup final. And I know, Jeff, you you made it clear you disagree. Uh, but I personally think the Lightning are a great story re- of redemption, winning the championship a year after being swept out in the first round of the playoffs in a season in which they tied the all-time record for most wins in a regular season. So I just love these stories of teams, you know, getting upset and trying to having something to prove and then make things right later on down the line. But I'm not really here to talk about the lightning's championship as much as I want to talk about where the lightning are coming from, where they hail from. Uh, And so the city of Tampa has a latitude of 28 degrees north, which makes it the southernmost home of any Stanley Cup winner in history. That was already true before last night because the Lightning became the southernmost champ back in 2004. They just doubled up on it. But the team they beat would have been the second most southern champ. Dallas has a latitude of 32.8 degrees, uh, which would have tied its own mark that it set when it won the cup in 1999. So no matter who won this final, the winner would have kind of re-cemented itself among the two most southern Stanley Cup winners in history. And as a result, this was the most southern Stanley Cup final ever. The average latitude between Tampa and Dallas is 30.4 degrees, which broke the previous record for southernmost finals matchup of 32.8 degrees, which was set in 1996 when the Florida Panthers at 25.8 degrees faced the Colorado Avalanche 39.8 degrees in uh, and the Avalanche, of course, won in a sweep. But this was the very first Stanley Cup final between not just one, but two Sunbelt teams. As a bit of a side note, I'm defining the Sun Belt as being south of the 38th parallel. It's kind of inconsistent as to where it begins and ends. I've seen the 36th parallel also included in California. Uh, I know it's uh, especially difficult to determine, but I'm basically considering San Jose and everything south to be part of the Sun Belt. So I was surprised to learn that this was the first matchup of all Sun Belt teams in the Stanley Cup final, but there haven't really been that many Sunbelt teams for very long. Among the current franchises in the Sunbelt, their average arrival in the region came between the 93 and 94 seasons, which makes sense. That was sort of peak expansion era for the NHL. Uh, The LA Kings entered the league in 1967, but they're kind of the outlier among teams that ended up sticking around. So apologies to the Oakland Seals and Atlanta Flames, who both (laughs) either uh, didn't exist or moved uh, very far north. Among current teams, the second longest running Sunbelt team is the San Jose Sharks. They joined the league in an expansion in 1991. Adding teams to the South and West was a huge priority for the NHL as it tried to grow beyond this like northern regional curiosity to a full-fledged major sports league with a big national TV contract in the U.S., uh, which it had lacked in the 70s and 80s. And so of the seven expansion teams that it added between 91 and 99, all but one of them, the Ottawa Senators, was in the Sun Belt. And then there were three other teams that relocated from northern cities to the Sun Belt during those years as well. So you kind of knew it would only be a matter of time before the Sun Belt teams started crashing the cup party. The first ever Sun Belt finalist was the 1993 LA Kings, led by everyone's favorite Canadian uh, son, Wayne Gretzky. Hmm. Uh, they lost in five games. Then the Panthers, again, were swept just three years later. Uh, Then there were two years that passed with Detroit and Philadelphia and Washington, you know, these kind of traditional hockey uh, markets playing for the Cup. But then in 1999, the floodgates opened with the Dallas Stars winning the Cup. 
And then from 1999 through 2007, all but one Stanley Cup final featured at least one Sunbelt team. Four Sunbelt teams won it, Dallas, Tampa Bay, Carolina, and Anaheim. There was a little bit of a four-year dry spell after that. Uh, but then in six of the next seven seasons, there was uh, at least one Sunbelt representative in those finals as well. And then now we just finished the first ever all Sunbelt championship. So basically over the past two decades, the Sunbelt has been represented in two-thirds of cup finals. They've won a third of all cups. And that's not even weird because they also make up roughly a third of the league, 10 of 31 teams. But as a result, this has really changed where the heart of hockey is, the center of gravity uh, for the Stanley Cup. This is something we calculated uh, in an article on the site uh, several years ago, where we basically looked at the average longitude and latitude of all Stanley Cup finals participants throughout the entire history of the NHL. And early on, the center of gravity was in Ottawa, but you can trace the cup's shift to the south and to the west over time as it moves through Kingston, Belleville, Peterborough, briefly dips into Lake Ontario toward Rochester and Buffalo, goes back to Toronto, and then moves steadily through southern Ontario. This year's final alone moved the center of gravity for the Stanley Cup nearly 10 miles to the south. Now it resides on a dot about 45 miles northeast of Detroit, so it's barely in Canada anymore. <laughs> and this also makes sense because the average point between Tampa and Dallas is a spot in Mississippi just a little bit west of Brett Favre's hometown, <laughs> just to give you a sense of how Southern fried the Stanley Cup final was. So congrats to the Lightning. Their win was not just a victory for fans who endured last year's collapse, but also for Sunbelt hockey fans who really have had more to cheer for uh, than ever before uh, after watching this year's final play out. Do you think that the move for the NHL to the, to the South and to the West has been overall like a success for them? I feel like hockey fans are weird about those teams like longtime hockey fan. Yeah. <laughs> Don't yeah that's, that's an awkward question. I mean, it, look, I think on the ice, as Neil just presented a very complete case on the ice, it's been successful in terms of like franchise success. I mean, these are still, you go any year when we have fans and look at the bottom of attendance and you'll see teams like, you know, Florida Panthers, uh, coyotes and, and, you know, Atlanta had to move <laughs> back North. Um, because they weren't the most successful franchise. Um, and then just in terms of general, I think that, you know, how popular the teams are, um, while each team, you know, like, you know, the Carolina hurricane don't have a lot of fans, but the fans I do have are pretty rabid, I, not to take anything away from that, but they don't have like huge following. So it, it depends the way you look at it. I do think this phenomenon, Neil, you have to agree, is the inverse of the Canada phenomenon, which is that a Canadian team can't seem to win the cup at all. Oh, um, yeah. And, and not only not win the cup, but so it still hasn't been since Montreal in 93. And then it, it, we haven't even had a team in the finals since Vancouver in what, uh, 2011? 2011, yeah. So it just Canada is, is, is really falling on hard times where you do have the teams that probably have the, the, the best financials in terms of, you know, following and, and attendance and, and, and these kind of things, um, despite not really winning anything for, for multiple decades. 
Yeah, and I think the worst moment for that came around the lockout in 2005. So uh, sandwiched around that, you had three straight Stanley Cup finals where a Sunbelt team beat a Canadian team. The Lightning beat the Flames in 04. The Hurricanes beat the Oilers in 06. And the Ducks beat the Senators in 07. And at that same time, the lockout ushered in a salary cap structure that sort of made things more equitable talent-wise across the entire league, which probably did, you know, lessen the uh, the effect of having that like rabid, you know, uh, home uh, fan base and and you know uh, the the following that a lot of the Canadian teams have. They they couldn't exert that as much, and and you had teams in sparsely attended southern cities and and Florida and so forth contending for the cup and and being able to financially compete just as much under the salary cap. So, yeah, I think that that was kind of a devastating turn in regard to keeping the Canadian teams uh competitive and and uh it, it really tilted things toward the Sunbelt teams. And and just to be clear, Dallas and Tampa are, have been very successful franchises. Um, you know, whereas I mentioned, you know, Arizona and and Florida have always been kind of bottom of the league in Carolina and the bottom of the league in attendance. Um, Dallas and, and Tampa have, have not had such problems. And also Tampa's, you know, they've been to multiple finals, president's trophies. They've, they've been somewhat of a, a mini dynasty, maybe, maybe not in their hardware, but at least in like, they're one of this sort of year to year annual threats and always a contender um, for a sustained amount of time now. So it's nothing to not take a knock on those teams. Yeah. I, I've wondered about, I mean, for baseball has had this problem of of attendance in in Miami and in Tampa and in certainly some seasons even when they were very good not being able to to attract many fans and i've always wondered about florida as being a place where you know not many people are from there so you move to florida and you already have teams somewhere else i wonder if tampa if the lightning have done a good job of cultivating new converts to hockey where you know if you're from detroit you're going to be a red wings fan you're not going to maybe just switch allegiances just because you live in 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 tampa but if you weren't a hockey fan you're going to adopt the team that you're from i don't know i find that all very interesting um as someone who doesn't live in the place where her teams are and has not adopted the teams where i live um but I've also never lived in the place where my teams are. So I don't know, maybe there's just no good. There's some of it is just like, whatever, you're going to be a team of what you're a, te- you're a fan of what you're, of whatever team, you know? Look, I think you could make a case that Texas could have another um, NHL team. Like the stars have, have been a success story and, and there's a minor league hockey and a minor league hockey system in Texas that thrives. You look, There's a book Zamboni, Zamboni Rodeo, which is about how popular and successful hockey is in Texas. And I think, um, it's a big enough state that they could definitely have another team. Houston could have a team or something like that. But it sort of depends where you are. I mean, it, it's hard to you know use Miami as an example because, like you pointed out, Miami attendance is bad in every sport. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's you're at South Beach. You have other things to do besides go yeah. to really Don't literally any of their teams. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're learning today are... that they have an NBA team in the finals. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> Hey, Florida's doing well right now. It's Florida. Florida. Oh, yeah. coming up Florida. Yeah, 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 absolutely. But these are all really interesting issues as as leagues think about how to grow and to, you know, stay relevant um in 
among just a lot of competing options for people's times. Um, I find it all really fascinating. Well, that was a super fun rabbit hole. Thank you, Neil. And that will do it for this week's show. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll be back with your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. And if you are subscribed, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It helps new people discover the show. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Metlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.